It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Blog Talk Radio. On the latest episode of The Big Show, we sit down with the star and director of the upcoming indie film, I Origins, Michael Pitt and Michael Cahill. This Sundance favorite uh, is a movie you really want to hear about, and you will hear it in this interview today. Plus, we'll have entertainment news and reviews of the latest films, including Guardians of the Galaxy and Lucy, all on episode 257 of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Now let's start the show. show. Step out of the cold, cold. We come from the cold, cold. To the top of the cold, cold. The pips and the holes, holes. The folks and the stones, stones. Whoever you ride for, we back for some more. Get back to the show, show. You know. Of course, including 
the big budget film, which is Guardians of the Galaxy, Marvel's latest film in their cinematic universe. We're also looking at Scarlett Johansson and Lucy, and two films that uh, we had an opportunity to see much earlier this year are finally hitting theaters now for you guys to check them out. Uh, one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's last films, A Most Wanted Man, uh, starring him, Robin Wright Penn. Um, I forget the other young lady um, that stars in it, but as you know from listening to the show, I'm not the name guy. I'm the break-your-movie-down guy. So if you need all these star names, maybe you should wait for Travis. But um, since he's not here, but that's one of the movies we're going to talk about as well as I Origins, and we'll have Michael Pitt, the star of that film, along with, um, what is her name? Along with um, Michael Cahill, excuse me, will be on for that as well. So that's coming up a little later on in the show. We'll also have entertainment news as well as, um, you know, some other additional information about some things that are coming up that we've been promoting. So that's all coming up in a little bit, and I'll do some entertainment news for you as well. Now, but before we get to any entertainment news, um, big, big week, um, and I definitely wanted to spotlight this over at the AFI uh, here in Washington, D.C., or actually in the suburbs of Silver Spring. Uh, they're doing what they call an 80s throwback weekend, including putting a film on screen that I'm going to get a chance to see. I'm going to go back and see this again because it's an event. It's special for me. It's the 30th anniversary of Purple Rain. Now, we have a show coming up which is going to air on the actual anniversary date, which is July 27th, uh, which is 30 years to the day that that film was released in theaters nationwide. They're putting it on the big screen tomorrow night and Saturday night. Got to be in the house. Um, and I'm not going to really elaborate too much on Purple Rain because I'm going to save a lot of that for the show, but Purple Rain is a special, special experience on multiple levels for me, and I'm not just talking the film. I'm talking about stuff that happened behind the scenes. Um, not that I was involved in the making of it, but stories, because I lived out in California and was active duty military during the 1980s, so... Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, that, that, those, were, those were, were the golden years. Those were good times. So that's coming up. And in addition to that, they're also showing movies, another one of my absolute favorite movies and one of my essentials uh, this weekend is The Dark Knight. They're going to actually bring that back and show it on the big screen, which I'm actually almost tempted to go and do that again because I love that movie so much when it came to theaters and, you know, wrote a four-star review of it back in 2008 when it dropped and still think, for my money, it is, if not the best uh, superhero film, because you can argue whether or not, you know, depending on your preference, whether something's the best, something's your favorite, et cetera. But I still think it's one of the most important comic sci-fi films ever made, and important from a standpoint that Marvel – which their films are told in a different tone that are a lot more lighter than what Christopher Nolan did with uh, his Batman trilogy. But I still think it's important because it really shows the power that these films can not just entertain, but you can keep them close to the vest or try to tailor them along the lines of the original comics. And I think that was really the thing that stood out for people then. And as we get far away from it, almost like seven, eight, seven, six or seven years away from it, you start to see the impact that that film has had on popular culture. So The Dark Knight, along with Purple Rain, and I'll have a list of other 
uh, movies that will be playing if you live here in the Washington metropolitan area and you want to go back and see some of these classics on the big screen, we'll talk about that a little later on. Now, it is now six minutes after the hour, and it's time for me to go to our segment where we do entertainment news. And uh, although that movie is set to open next week, the buzz is being generated by Chadwick Boseman for his channeling, I shall say, of James Brown and the upcoming biopic, Get On Up. Uh, I had a long conversation with a colleague of mine who had an opportunity to see an early screening of it, and um, he had a wonderful analogy. I mean, and it makes perfect sense. He asked me about Ali, you know, what did I think about Ali? And the answer I gave him about that film, he said, was exactly how he felt about this film. So, when you think about successful biopics that have been done within the last 10, 15 years, of course, Jamie Foxx's Ray comes to mind. Um, Will Smith's Ali comes to mind. I'm trying to think of any, like, really, I mean, Chadwick Boseman's Jackie Robinson really doesn't come to mind because a lot of people who are younger don't really know who Jackie Robinson was, and he wasn't such a public figure, you know, in contemporary society recently, like, Maybe Ali was, maybe like Ray Charles was. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be interesting, and my gut told me when I saw the trailer that the film either is going to be really good or it's going to be really, really bad. And from what I'm hearing, uh, a lot of my colleagues um, have raved about Chadwick Boseman, and um, I've reserved the right or I've reserved the, the opinion on what the film, they're saying about the film, but they love Chadwick Boseman. So get on up come to theaters near you. I know that uh, Wilson Morales has had an opportunity to sit down with many of the members of the cast for that film, uh, including Jill Scott, Bozeman, and some others. Uh, some of those interviews, I'm sure, will be on our site as, or be on our show as well. Uh, in other news this week, the other big thing is that in addition to Get On Up coming out and that biopic, the other big, big story was that um, – Malcolm Lee's The Best Man Wedding is now has a release date, and it is set for April of 2016, the third film in this uh, franchise. Uh, the first one, of course, as you know, was, uh, was a, a runaway cult hit back in 1999. It took them almost 13 or 14 years to bring it back uh, for part two. And I remember interviewing uh, both Malcolm Lee and Monica Calhoun, and then talking to Malcolm Lee again at an event that was in Los Angeles early this year. And he promised that he would get that, that next installment uh, to the theaters a lot sooner. In addition to that, uh, there was the controversy uh, between Universal and some of the stars of the franchise, including Tate Diggs, who talked about uh, the fact that they were waiting, Universal was waiting, to greenlight this film until they saw if Think Like a Man 2 would be a success. Um, different studio, but similar genre of film, uh, ensemble, urban ensemble films. And by virtue of that, that film opened number one, which fairly or unfairly uh, over at Universal for Malcolm Lee and his crew, um, you know, they've now moved forward and said that, yeah, I guess these movies are making some money. And go ahead on and make another one. So I'd be anxious to see what the budget was because I remember in the conversations with Lee how he talked about uh, it was such a minuscule budget 
and how everything that was in the budget, you see it on the screen. The Best Man Holiday, I think, is a gorgeous-looking movie. It takes place around Christmas time. There's the mansion that um, Mars Chestnut, yeah, Mars Chestnut's character, who um, I forget what his character's name is in the film, but, you know, everybody is there, including Howard and Diggs and Lathan and Neil Long and, you know, Regina Hall. So everybody's, all, everybody's on point for this one. So um, it's going to be interesting, and it's got an April 2016 release date. And the significance of that for people at home who really don't study the calendar the way we do, April has been significant for several years now. And most notably, it was the launching spot for the original Think Like a Man that was number one for two weeks in that, that April time slot. It also was the launching spot this year for Captain America, which opened up huge and was number one throughout the entire month of April. And people, you know, like we keep, there's always this conversation about how Hollywood keeps trying to expand the summer calendar. And when you see these sorts of films, because Best Man Wedding could easily play between May and August. But in an effort to get away from a lot of these mammoth blockbusters that litter the month of May, studios are starting to get a little smarter and starting to, put the, to move the calendar up a little bit until, like, now the beginning of April. So this film is going to be opening in mid-April, but this is just kind of a way to make sure that you can stick your film out there, get it in a high-profile slot where it's relatively warm, but it's not necessarily summer yet. So a smart move from the folks of the Best Man franchise. And uh, as I said, that film is going to open on 2016. Uh, and other news, another one of these Sundance films, because now many of the films we get later in the year, and a lot of the films, as I said, that played at Sundance, so we had an opportunity to see, are going to be hitting theaters in the next three to four months. The latest one that released their trailer was for Dear White People, the Justin Simeon, his debut film, along with uh, writer Lena Waite, uh, this movie, um, we, had, we had an opportunity not only to see the film, but also to interview the star of the film, Tessa Thompson, uh, who plays the infamous Miss White, you know, and dear white people. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that movie, I think, opens in October. And, um, you know, I, I can't wait to see what the reaction is going to be uh, for many of these films that people have, you know, that we've, we've had an opportunity to see so early and that suddenly are now just hitting the multiplexes and doing what they're doing. So, you know, one of the big ones last week that we talked about on this show was Boyhood and uh, not only had a chance to talk, we talked about it specifically on our Sunday show, Addicted to Film, Travis and I, and as we were sitting there before the show started, he looked at me, I looked at him, I said, man, we haven't seen this movie, man, in six months, man. I mean... I, you know, I, I understand the, the, the basic points of it, um, but if you ask me specific details, mm, don't really have them for you. And it's similar because in the next segment when we talk to uh, Michael Pitt and Michael Cahill, we, you know, I'm going to play this interview unedited almost in its entirety to show you, the, and actually not just to show you, but to give you a glimpse of, like, what really happens when we're doing these interviews sometimes, and a lot of times, and I would say a lot of times is about 98.9% of the time or 99.9% .9 of the time, we really edit everything out to make it a clean presentation. But today I had so much fun 
talking to both of those guys yesterday that I decided that I would run it as it occurs. And I'll talk about this a little bit more in the next segment about how it was the most unorthodox thing. And I even said that at some point. Like, we, we've never done one of these before. So it's pretty interesting. But I say that to say that um, I'm learning that for the first time that, you know, when you go to a, a high-profile festival like that so early in the year and you get an opportunity to see these films, you have, like, such a long lead ahead of the audience that, you know, we talked about it immediately afterward. But then again, it, you just put it away and then you start watching movies. And right now I think I'm up to about movie 142 of the year. So I've seen a lot of movies since those movies of Sundance. So the movies start to blur together, but you can kind of remember the, the central points and plots and certain scenes and dialogue that really stand out. But, yeah. So dear white people, as I said, said all that to say, dear white people, Hitting theaters in October. You do not want to miss it. We're going to take a break right now. We're going to come back on the other side with the aforementioned interview uh, with Michael K. Well, no, I don't know if it's Michael K., but it's Michael Pitt, the two Michaels, Michael Pitt and Michael Cahill uh, <laughs> for iOrigins. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon, and we'll be right back. I wake up in the morning and I stretch my limbs. I sing a couple hymns and fetch my Tim. Sip some herbs, these strictly rules on them. I take some fresh fruit and squeeze the juice from them. I don't drink milk that produces phlegm. I don't care if it's low fat or even skim. And this is the way we stay fit time trim. So you don't ever have be diet or hit the gym. I don't eat spam or green eggs and ham. I like the whole wheat toast with the strawberry jam. That's the type of man that I am. I eat the food that grows up from the land. The rice, the beans, the wheat, the corn, and the yam. So I don't need approval from Uncle Sam. Because what God made, no man could brand. But there's still a few things that you don't understand. I don't drink soda, no Coca-Cola. When my feeling fell out, I broke a molar. I shine like solar, chill like the polar. Cash kick the old school rap like Dola. Might check the insight of this Mike Cola. Still be an MC if I can live my life over. Rock on, on, on. Yo, 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 yo. So give me the wheat, the old wheat, and nothing but the wheat. Come make me teach the people how to eat. Give me the brown rice and the ground spice. The brown sugar and the steam yogurt sounds nice. Yeah, that's hey, that's that's not just a song, people. That's a manifesto. That's called Good Food from Akbar. And, you know, hey, I take those words close to heart. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. It is now uh, 17 minutes after the hour. Actually, it's 47 minutes after the hour. My apologies because we started this show uh, late today. But Welcome back to the show. And before we get back to it, uh, let me just remind you one more time, and I said it early at the uh, top of the show, sometime in that huge kind of like, it wasn't a rant, but like my, you know, my dialogue with you at home that I can't see, and I'm talking to each of you individually, even though we're all in mass here online, um, this Sunday, Sunday night, and I think a good time to have that show. Well, actually, I don't want to count a program against my own self because that would be kind of dumb. But um, I think the, the Purple Rain show is going to be 8 o'clock on Sunday night. 
All right, I just decided that because I normally would do it at 7, but it would be dumb to have you listen to me and Tra- – well, actually, not even Travis this week, me and Kevin Sampson at 7 o'clock and then program against my own self. So 8 o'clock Sunday night here on Blog Talk Radio, we're going to do our special 30th anniversary tribute to Purple Rain. Um, you do not want to miss it. If you love this film, we're going to play the entire album, including, big bonus here, including the original unedited version of Purple Rain that was recorded on August 3, 1983, which is used in the film and on the soundtrack, which was cut down and edited to 8 minutes and 41 seconds. Do not ask me how I can remember all of that, and no, I'm not reading it. <laughs> so that's happening Sunday night at 8 o'clock. You do not want to miss it. Um, special 30th anniversary show. Now, back to the show, 49 minutes after the hour. And as I said in the previous break, had an opportunity to sit down with the stars and the creative team of the film I Origins. And I Origins tells the story of a micro, um, a micro uh, goodness gracious, a, a, let me just say a scientist who uh, is doing some cutting-edge research and has tragedy in his personal life only to find out that love truly is an eternal and that love never dies. And the way that uh, director, screenwriter Michael Cahill puts this together, it is absolutely stunning. I remember I told, you know, and it's funny, you'll hear it in the interview coming up. I said, you know, I might not remember a lot of stuff, but I do remember how that movie made me feel when we got to the payoff uh, in that film. And, of course, you've got amazing performances not only from Pitt but from Britton Marley. Uh, what if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There is a French actress, and I need to, and it's funny because I was reading her name on the poster yesterday, and I still can't pronounce it. I mean, so, but she is a stunningly beautiful, beautiful woman. Um, and they all co-star in this compelling drama. Um, and what I'm about to let you guys hear is normally some of the stuff that we edit out, you know, stuff that either happens before or after. But I just wanted to, to do this because it was such a fun experience. And let me just set the mood for you. This interview was done in the Hotel Monaco, which is in downtown D.C., in one of their private back rooms. In this back room was champagne. You know, they had all kinds of pastries and snacks and fruit. And for each of the journalists that came in to interview them, 
you know, Michael K. Pitt would offer to pour you a glass of champagne, and I declined because, you know, a pro can't drink champagne and do an interview, or you could, but then that might sound just a little different, and we didn't really want that. So with the mood set, here is <laughs> an unedited version of my interview with these guys. I had a lot of fun. I think we talked about everything but the film. <laughs> Check this out. Uh, right here on the show, as soon as I can pull it up. Where are you hiding interview? Where are you hiding interview? Seriously. Seriously. Oh, here we go. All right, guys, here's my unedited interview with Michael K. Pitt, or Michael Pitt and Michael K. Hill. I mean, don't worry. You never thought about me. Tell us that. <laughs> you know, it is one of. We had to play this game. <laughs> it is, it is <laughs> one of the thirty-five films I saw at Sundance. Oh wow! Um, do I don't know how people do that. I have. I haven't been. I really. I want to get on a um, like a jury because I go to all these great film festivals. I never get to see the films that I want to see. But so when I talk to people. You saw 35 films, I saw 35 in, films in, in what? 10 days. In 10 that's days. incredible. See, that seems like sensory overload to me a little bit. Well, it, it, it is sensory overload, and it was my first time at Sundance, and I was telling them the story about uh, what I remember from the film. And, you know, and I was talking to the publicist, and he said, yeah, that's pretty much it. He said, I saw it last night. You pretty much hit it. I said, really? yeah, well, I remember. I, don't, I might not remember, like, the fine details, mm-hmm. like, a particular scene. I said, but I do remember that it was one of the films that I really liked a lot. Mm-hmm. And before we get started, the, the, the great story about Sundance is that there was a Sunday night that they screened Boyhood, and it was like the last film of the day. It mm-hmm. started at 9.45. It was the fifth film <laughs> we saw that day, really? and they introduced the cast. So I think another 15 minutes burned. So that film, I got to go back and rewatch because I know that there were pockets where I was like, Really? Oh, gosh, yeah. Because there's a lot of films trying to get it in. Yeah. A lot of, I don't think I've ever watched five films in one day. Which I, which I find to be disturbing by virtue that you guys make these movies. You know, people like me who are critics, it's our job to watch them. So you, you kind of, you gotta, you got to train yourself to get in that mode because mm. when you get to award season and, and the studios send you screeners, you got to watch like 60 to 70 movies to get ready to vote. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a lot of stuff, but... I think, I think, you know, but in the same right, like I won't, you know, I, you, you could get handed 10 scripts. Right. And, you know, they could ask you to read those 10 scripts in, you know, a couple of days, like maybe, you know, four or five days. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, it's it's not about, like, not being, you know, like I'm a super ambitious person, you know, I have a great work ethic, but I can't read 10 scripts in, in five days because if, if I'm doing that, I'm not, I'm not contemplating it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. You're speed reading. It's... Yeah, yeah. Not that. But I like. I mean, if you have the choice, I like to experience films that way too. I like to watch a film properly digested. Well, this is the most unorthodox opening of an interview I've ever done. Really? But I'm here with. I'm for for because I'm playing this on the show that I'm going to do. Welcome back to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. I am here. Is this called Keeping It Real? My show. Well, actually, I do two shows. The show that we normally would, we, we were going to record you uh-huh. uh, with video was for Addicted to Film. But my camera guy didn't show up, so I'm using this for my other podcast show. Oh, okay. okay. So, welcome back to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. I am here with the two Michaels. Thanks, Star sir. of the film, Michael Pitt. 
Hello. And director Michael Cahill. How are you? Gentlemen, um, as I said to you earlier, um, I saw this film back in January, um, and it was one of the films that really touched me. I love the concept of the eyes being the windows to the soul. Mm. Uh, Mr. Pitt, I've watched you in, in some, some roles, and I can't remember what film it was where I saw a little too much of you mm -hmm. when you were nude. <laughs> but I've watched a lot of your work, man. Um, I really liked you in the role in this film. Um, I want to start with you when we just it's talked about It's interesting that you bring up that film. That film was uh, Bernardo Berlucci, yes. you know, one of our, one of our uh, great filmmakers. Right. Um, and uh, it's interesting that you, that you bring that up because there was a lot of conversation about the nudity in that film um, w when bringing it to America. And I learned some interesting things. One of the things that I learned was that you could get an R rating by... Um, by tie, like in other words, if you had a scene where you tied up a woman and um, put a gun in her mouth and like you know blew her head off, that you could get an R rating. But in certain situations where you were showing you know uh, love scenes, they would they would uh, give you an NC-17. And and I think you know not to get not to get too real, but this is called you know keeping this it real. is called keeping it real. So I'm gonna keep it real. Um, I think that that says a lot about uh, uh, it, it says an interesting thing about our culture here in America uh, that that violence is is a lot more accepted uh, than 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 love. When that movie came out, uh, uh, there was also like um, it's it's when uh, George Bush. Uh, uh, decided to go into uh, uh, Iraq, and the director had a very great quote that I actually wrote on my T-shirt when I when I did the press line. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, the quote was, "An orgasm is better than a bomb," which you know sounds you know it's it's, it's provocative. It might sound um, you know, but it actually I, to me it meant a lot. You know, you had these guys who were getting off on on. Uh, I'm blowing shit up. Now, I would I want to follow that up, but it would take us on an entirely different line away from I Origins. So yeah, I might catch you with that after, like a question on the way out. But when we talked earlier, you talked about speed reading all these scripts. When you got your hands on I Origins, what was it? What was it? And you know how people always say, what was it that attracted you to it? But what was it? Was it something that you read? Like, was there some humanity? Or was there something in it that you read and you said you, that tapped into you and said, you know, hey, I think I really, this is something I can, this is something I'm going to break to. I'm, I'm constantly looking to, I'm constantly looking to challenge um, uh, my audience. I'm, I'm always looking to do something different. I'm trying to design a, a, a career where uh, I make choices that are different, things, things that haven't been done. That's, that's what interests me. Um, when, I, when I met on iOrigins, it was just kind of a general meeting. I live in Brooklyn, I don't live in, in California or Hollywood, and I, I just mentioned to my agents, I had said like, um, you know, I should meet your, the people that you rep, the artists, the filmmakers that live here in the community in Brooklyn, and um, it was just me being active in my career. Um, I met uh, Mike Cahill just on one of these general meetings. We met at a place, and he, I, I, I was instantly taken by by his enthusiasm. Um, he he talked to me about I Origins, the script. One thing that interests me, other than um, 
other than the, the movie, just from beginning to end, that he didn't have in his script yet, but I could tell he had it, the whole movie in his head, was, you know, other than it being a fascinating idea, uh, one of the things that interested me was, that it was, was playing a scientist. And um, at that moment, I kind of just organically said to Mike, uh, you know, you, you should really put some um, time aside on that idea. What he did with that information is like two weeks later, he sent me a first draft of the script that basically stayed the same. I mean, we, we workshopped it. Things changed here and there. But then I was like, okay, this guy's not messing around. Um, so that's sort of where it began. Mm. Now, now, Mike. I left at the opportunity. I mean, when Michael Pitt, who I regard as one of the best actors, period, um, certainly one of the best actors of our generation, one of the best actors, period. And you see that, that career he's talking about is, is based on choices of great integrity. And he... You know, that's inspiring. That's inspiring to me, that's inspiring to other artists. And so when that person who I had admired for a very long time sort of charged me with this, like, encouraging task to, to spend time on iOrigins, the concept, you know, I ran to a computer and started churning stuff out because I thought, you know, this is a real opportunity here. I, like, I could be making a movie with him you know, shortly thereafter, I don't want to blow it. I don't want to miss that um, because I think we can make something important. I think we can make something powerful, and I think we can, uh, uh, you know, move the art form a needle forward, um, which would be, you know, something I would really like to participate in. Now, Mike uh, Cahill, because both of you got Mike. Yeah. Now I've seen several movies this year mm. that dabble in sci-fi and science. Right. Some of them. Um, not so much, and, and I'm not going to name any movies, but a couple I've seen this year, the science really doesn't work. Hmm. I actually saw a movie last night, along with your movie, that I think really handled the balance of science and entertainment in a way that I really think it works, and the concept ah, um, of your really? film, to Lucy. I, I really oh. like what they did with Lucy last night. Oh, great. But, but your film, I it's think, Luke has Bissant. a... Huh? Louis Yeah. You, you guys handled it in a way, did you, when, when writing the screenplay, you're thinking through the concept and the science of it all. Yeah. Um, how did you strike that proper chord to make sure you gave them something that was plausible enough, but not something that was going to bore them because right. you're kind of preaching at them? Mm. That's a really good question. That balance is a, a, an important balance to strike. I, I find science really fascinating. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, what the great young men and women and older men and women in laboratories across the country and across the world are doing uh, is magnificent, it's exciting, it's thrilling to me. Even, you know, discovering genes that do, that do this or genes that do that or, you know, pushing boundaries and, and discovering new frontiers. Um, that is exhilarating and I understand that it's not completely exhilarating to everybody else, uh, but the beauty of film writing is that uh, and film acting, again, going back to the, the brilliance of the actors that I got to work with on this, is that the meaning lives in the subtext anyway, right? So you can be speaking, I can be saying jargon, 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 and underneath, you know, somebody flirting, or there's like an attraction, or there's something brewing, or there's, you know, uh, there's a... Uh, an underestimation, uh, like Ian's character underestimates Karen's character at first. 
and then he's a, he's like kind of intrigued by her intelligence, and and the words that they speak are legitimate scientific, you know, theories and discoveries and experiments. But we, on an emotional level, understand that there's a whole other story going on, and we as an audience um, have have immediate access to it intuitively when you have great actors. So the secret is hire great actors. Nice, great actor. Now, Michael Pitt. Um, I paid him to say that. Checked in the mail. He didn't have to pay me much. <laughs> oh, not a problem. I was gonna say Michael Pitt. Um, the film seems to to look at the element of love in a way that it's almost eternal, you know, and that by virtue that you know, as people like to say, when people pass on, that you know, to be out of the body and all of that stuff. What is what is your now? I know what you put on screen, but your own personal philosophy is that something was that that character you played or the reactions of that character closer to how you would have handled a situation like that, or would that have totally kind of like spooked you, freaked you out? I'm I'm not I'm normally when I'm picking characters, I'm trying to pick characters that are <clears throat> that are far from me. That's 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 what's challenging. That's what that uh, for me. That's what separates an act, you know, a true actor, from from a persona or or uh, or a um, uh, or you know someone who's a movie star, is just taking elements of themselves and and doing that over and over. So um, I'm I'm so Ian, Doctor Ian Gray, the, the character that I'm playing in here, uh, is is not like me. But that's what's fun. To me, that's what's interesting. I was really excited to play a guy who was. Um, so set in his ways and his philosophy about <clears throat> about data and proof and um, um, you know so set in that and the idea the idea to play uh, him that whole philosophy being shaken up the idea of playing that was very exciting to me was was uh, very interesting to me and of course the you know if you want to, you know, if you want to take a guy who's in a lot of, a lot of ways smarter than, than you are, um, who's got some very strong ideas, uh, but you want to sh- uh, shake up his, his world um, spiritually, um, you do it with love, man. I mean, that's what shakes us up. Absolutely. Well, that 15 minutes went really, really fast. It did. I'm unhappy. Do you, hey, well, let's do another one. You got another? Um, Keep going. That was a fast interview. Well, the, the question I really wanted to ask is, Britt Marley, who I've adored her work in several films, you guys had an opportunity to work with her. Um, talk a little bit about the experience of the collaboration when it's not just you, when Mike Cahill is saying that you're the great actor, but when you're paired with actors who bring emotion out of you who actually help you push who push you and help you raise your game yeah I mean Brett, Brett was like you know kind of a diva always late uh, <laughs> sort of drunk not very gracious I mean <clears throat> I'm, of course I'm joking Brits I can't say enough nice things about Brit. she's a lovely lovely uh, human being but then also such an interesting actress and the way that she appro- uh, approaches things um, it was was really really uh, enjoyable for me to watch. It was very very interesting to see uh, her her process and to work with that. And um, and there was also really interesting to 
sort of see this history between Mike and and Britt, and I, I love that. I love when directors, um, you know, develop this kind of troupe of actors, always bring them along. And, uh, I, I, I just, I, I think that that works with the whole, you know, the whole vibe, the whole vibe of the, of the thing. What, what would you say? Britt the Cahill? Yeah, I, I, again, I'm, I'm fortunate to have met Britt uh, when I was young. Uh, when I was like 17, 18, I guess, or whenever it was. Um, when I was in school, and and to be able to work with her, like we used to make short films when we were kids, and I would direct these short films uh, alongside a friend of ours, Zal, and and Britt would be the star of them, and they were like little tiny student films that are ridiculous. Actually, we were just talking about one. There was I, I did a short film with Zal and with Britt, and we shot at the Hirschhorn, like we weren't supposed to be there, and we had to put a picture up on the wall. <laughs> The part of the scene, so we had to we stuck a an artwork that we created on the wall, which wasn't that hard to do, but the more challenging and we shot the scene, the more challenging thing was to take the down <laughs> <laughs> uh, and leave the museum. And leave right? the museum. It was like the patrons in the museum were like, "What? You guys just stole a price of artwork." Uh, <laughs> and I had rollerblades on, which I don't know why. I, that's part of the memory. I don't know if that's true or not. And I was like running away with it like, with like a painting, but it was our own painting. Anyway, but yeah, I've, I've been, uh, you know, and I, I feel the same sort of excitement uh, about being able to work with Michael again in the future um, uh, and all the other actors. Uh, they're just, you know, when I'm the kind of guy that like if I go to a restaurant and I order something that I like, I order it all the time, every single time. And if I find people that I like, I want to be around them. You know, I want to continue to creatively collaborate with them. All right, gentlemen, uh, my time is short. Um, I want Michael Pitt. As I said, I'm a big fan of your work. Oh, thank you. Michael Cahill, I know we met before. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Just, we met before. You we did something different with your head this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, we definitely um, met. But our origins is in theaters when? Uh, it's Friday. Okay, yes, this Friday. Friday. I ordered this. All my emails. Yeah, this, this Friday. Everyone should go see it. Everyone should go see it, and they should take everyone they know to go see it. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a good date movie. It's a great date movie. I think there's a good, like, 80% chance of getting love. lucky. Yeah. It is, it is. It you is about love, yeah. Different okay. types of love. That's what happens when you mute. Welcome back to the show. And as I was saying when I was talking to myself when we were muted, yeah, in the five years that we've done this show, there might have been maybe two or three other times when I just left stuff in. And I just thought, I went to edit it, and I thought about it, and it said, you know what, it was so much fun kicking it with the, with the two Michaels that um, that actually became one of my favorite interviews because – um, I wish, and it was, and as you heard in the piece, that we were supposed to have literally recorded that. We would have used it on the show as well. I know Travis probably would have used it on uh, Cinema Royale, the show that he does, uh, as well as us running it on. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm addicted to film on Sundays, but when the camera guy didn't show up, it just gave us the opportunity in that small space to really sit there and have an honest conversation about film. Um, you know, I love how Michael Pitt talked about his process as it relates to not just reading a script, but having the, the time to reflect on the script, which is something that a lot of film critics don't have, specifically when you're in a film festival sort of mindset. So, you know, there are five or six times a year that I know I attend festivals, and then there's some, some colleagues of mine who attend even more festivals than that, where they're doing international stuff like Cannes and Venice and Berlin, along with Toronto. They're also trying to squeeze in Tribeca and Sundance and Telluride and South by Southwest. Um, it, it, it's a lot. And when you're at a festival, you don't, <laughs> there is no time to reflect uh, when you're watching multiple movies in a day, three movies a day, four movies a day, five movies a day. There's no reflection time. It's just you getting in there, hitting it, trying to, to, to see what it is, live in that moment, you know, try to capture some of those details and then keep it moving. So it was really, it was really interesting. And we could have probably, if I would have had more time, gone more into detail when he talked about his role in the Dreamers with Berta, not, Berta uh, goodness gracious, Berta Lucci. Um, we could have talked a little bit about the perception and how uptight we are in America and our films and how free and open uh, foreign language films are that are made in South America, over in Europe, um, you know, in the continents. I mean, it, it's, it's an amazing world, and that's why I enjoy talking to actors who have some of these experiences. So that was that interview, and, of course, we're going to review I Origins uh, in the next segment uh, when Jeffrey Lyles comes on from the Lyles Movie Files. Um, so, yeah, really, really interesting piece. And um, we have a couple of minutes before we have to go to a break. And as I promised earlier, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, AFI's lineup of these, specials, these special 80s films that they're showing. So as I was saying, uh, in addition to their, the, the, the kind of new releases that they have, uh, they have a bunch of special engagements, including Purple Rain. And as I told you, if you live here in D.C., that will be tomorrow at 10 o'clock at night. And then they're replaying it again Sunday, excuse me, Saturday night uh, at 9:45. They're actually also running a Purple Rain costume contest, which uh, I'm not dressing up. I'm just letting you know in, in advance. So please don't send me any texts about Tim. What's your Purple Rain outfit? Because because Tim won't have one. But what Tim will do is bring his camera phone with him and take pictures of them and hopefully put them on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and have some fun laughing with some people uh, that are going to be there. And it's kind of funny. So, um, yeah, I'm reading the categories, you know, best Prince, best Avalonia, best 80s band member, 
you know, revolution of time, modern era, et cetera. It ought to be interesting. Um, also on um, tomorrow night at 7.20 is the 25th anniversary screening of Tim Burton's Batman from 1989. Um, a film, honestly, well, I'm not going to say I don't want to see it again, but after watching Christopher Nolan's vision of that character, it's kind of hard to go back and watch the 89 film, but that's just me. Uh, They're going to be celebrating Batman's 75th anniversary day, and Batman Day is July 23rd, which, is that today? It's July 23rd today. I think it is. Okay, today is Batman Day. So I have to make sure to get on Facebook a little later on and do my Batman dedication. So in order... In honor of Batman Day, which is today, they're showing The Dark Knight Saturday night at 6.30. Don't want to miss that. Skip, skip, skip. They're also showing Big, the um, Tom Hanks film from uh, 1984. That's another one of the films in the 80s series. And so, and I'll leave it at that. But, yeah, so those are some of the films that are coming up at the AFI. And for more information, you can just go to their site and do what you do. Um, but we're going to take a pause for the cause right now. We're going to come back with movie reviews. You guys, uh, of course, are listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon, and we'll be right back. Hey, hey, I am your lovely Missy Stone, and you are listening to The Big Show, Keeping It Real with Film Gordon, baby. Jeffrey Lyles is now a married man. 
What's going on, Jay Lizzie? What's up, boy? What's up, man? How are you? <laughs> hey, man. Hey, hold on a second. What's that sound out here? Is that a chain with a ball attached? No, sir. <laughs> How are you, man? No, sir. I'm great, man. How are you? <laughs> Jeff is like, no, sir. <laughs> said, no, what, no, said, no. Said, the, said the man in captivity. <laughs> Whatever. It's all it's going great so far. <laughs> I know, man. I know, I know, man. But um, welcome to today's show, man. And uh, Jeff and I are going to look at several movies. We've got four of them this week. Uh, but before we get started, as always, we have to drop our uh, our movie review music. Our theme, I should say. Here we go. All righty. We got Jeff Lyles online with us. We got four movies today, and of course, those movies are Guardians of the, Guardians of the Galaxy. Lucy, I Origins, and the Most Wanted Man, and by virtue that um, we're going to start with the small and work our way up to the large, and the first one we're going to look at, of course, is a film called A Most Wanted Man, one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's final films. Uh, the story is about a Chechen Muslim illegally immig- who immigrates to Hamburg where he gets caught in an international war on terror, and let's break down and take a look or take a listen to a clip from a most wanted man your choice is between us and nobody the clock is ticking you know they'll find him and when they do he'll be on the first plane back to Russia Unless the Americans want him, then we won't know where he is, and nor will he. He doesn't want the money. He just doesn't want it. Half radical, half rich kid, half Russian, half Chechen. Loves his mother, hates his father. You and I both know Isa Karpov has no idea what he wants. All right, I guess that is the clip. All right. So uh, in this film and in that scene, of course, that was uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, the late Philip Seymour Hoffman, I may add, uh, opposite, uh, what is her name? This always drives me crazy. I can't remember actresses' names. And and she's a and she's a popular actress too. Um, the woman from uh, uh, God, man, I, I, I'm like eight months right now. Rachel McAdams, goodness on. gracious, no, I got it. Rachel McAdams. Uh, so in this film, as you heard in the setup, Philip Seymour Hoffman is a member of like a really covert government organization, and his job is to you know is to gain intelligence. And by gaining intelligence, what they do is they try to find somebody who, somebody they can nab who really had something that they can use to turn that person to get to, to go after a larger fish. So if you think about films like Deep Cover, 
uh, where, you know, uh, Fishburne's character is set to nab somebody, but it's to set up not only the guy larger than him, but the guy larger than him. And that's essentially what the story is. Uh, the thing that's interesting about this film is I think um, this is a John Le Carre, based on the John Le Carre novel of the same name. And this is the same guy who's written films like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, uh, Constant Gardner, and some other films. So you know going in that the pacing is going to be, like, slow. And in this film, that pacing is really slow, but it also has some wonderful supporting performances. I talked about McAdams. Robin Wright Penn is in the film. She's really, really good as well, along with Seymour Hoffman. And I think of the two final films that Hoffman did before his untimely demise, this one to me is probably his stronger or stronger performance. I'm going to not say strongest, but his stronger performance. Um, I'm not sure if this film is a film for everybody because I don't think that the average moviegoer who's going to, to theaters to see the big, bu- big budget blockbusters or the kids who are going to film to see their heart throb. This is, a, this is a film for grown-ups, and this is a film for people who like art house films, who like their films slow and like their stories to develop very slowly. Um, I think that the film has an amazing payoff, and as I said, it is one of, his, one of Seymour Hoffman's really good performances in one of his final two films. Um, would I recommend The Most Wanted Man? As I said, mm, I think it's a film that doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Um, I saw it in a, in a festival kind of an outline, as I said, back in January, so we were kind of really into it because this was prior to the passing of Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was actually in Sundance watching the film along with the audience at that time as well. But a most wanted man, I think, is, is a pretty good film. I'm not going to say it's a great film, but it's a pretty, pretty good film. All right, Jeff, so now we're going to move on, man, to another one of these smaller films, and I don't think you had an opportunity to see this one as well. The film, of course, is I Origins. You just heard me talking to the star and the director. Uh, Michael Cahill is the, the writer-director along with the star, Michael K. Pitt. And before we get into well, actually, let me set it up first because, you know, I got Jeff on the phone, so I'm doing things all, all uh, unorthodox because, you know. Hey, man, here. you're good. Whatever, man. The film tells the story of a, of a, micro, a, a, a molecular biologist and his laboratory partner who uncover evidence that may fundamentally change society as we know it. As I said, written and directed by Mike Cahill, starring Michael Pitt, Stephen Yoon, Astrid Burgess Frisbee, that's the name, along with Britt Marling. And here is a clip from iOrigin. This is a rough estimation, but let's just say that the human eye has 12 working parts, right? Simplify having one. So if we can fill in the gaps, the evolutionary gaps, using single mutations, we can map out the most logical progression of the most basic eye, the most complex, fully formed human eye. I don't understand why I take the time. We know that it evolved. It's an assumption, not a fact. When you're no longer a first year, let's see how important facts are. All right, and of course, there's Michael Pitt playing the scientist, talking to his research assistant played by Marling. And this movie is really interesting in concept. It tells the story of said scientist played by Michael K. Pitt, who, while in the, in the, in the process of developing 
this, this, or having a breakthrough uh, developing this technology about the eye and learning about the eye. And, you know, as you heard me say in the interview, the eye being the window to the soul, uh, he suffers major tragedy when he, when he loses his lover in the middle of the film, and then his reactions and how he deals with that. Um, the film speeds up several years into the future. Um, he is now uh, married to a different woman, of course. And one day after he has his son, the new technology that he helped create that codes, you know, once they, they, it can scan your eye and it kind of tells you all sorts of information about you, he discovers something really uncanny to bring back his lover from the past. Um, an amazing film is an amazing journey. Now, truthfully, what I can say about Eye Origins is that there are some scenes in this movie that are a little stockish, a little creepy. You know, like in real life, like if that happened, you know, child protective services may be called in. Or, <laughs> or somebody, you know, there's some scenes that are highly questionable. But the thing that I think makes it work is that, the, that Michael Cahill never draws any attention to it, so you just kind of go with it as you're watching the movie, and you go, man, it's kind of weird, but he didn't say anything. I guess I won't say anything either. <laughs> so, um, but the payoff in this film I think is immense, and it's the sort of thing that, I, you know, and you heard it in the, in the interview, and we're going to talk about one of the other films, now, there are two films this week that I think really deal with a lot of science in them. This is the first one, Lucy, which is coming up, is the second, that I really think do a very good job of presenting science in a way and entertaining, entertainment excuse me, and merging the two so that you're not bored when you're watching it. Uh, and it. And it makes enough sense that you go, yeah, I think I can go with that, instead of some movies that I've seen that just create phrases, make up stuff, uh, you know, I got a drug called horse. Well, well what, is, what is horse made from? It doesn't really matter, but horse gets you high. So when, when audiences see that, they kind of, yeah, whatever. But I Origins, I think, for the most part, has, it's not a perfect film either, but I think it has an amazing payoff in it that I think really, really, really works well. So that is what I will say to that. Jeff, do you have any comments or questions on I Origins? No, nah, man, you sold me on it. I think I want to check it out soon. You did a good job well, on it. We got, well, thank I'm you, intrigued. sir. So now, well, and, and I want you to be intrigued, man, and, 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 <laughs> and that's part of the purpose of doing this. But I, I'm not saying it's not a bad film. Just like I said, a most wanted man, these would be movies that if somebody asked me, you know, to see it versus not to see it, yeah, I think you should see both of them. But understand specifically with a most wanted man what you're getting into. Um, I Origins, I think, the concept alone, if you're an adult, that you'd really like a film like that if you sat there and watched it. And I think on some gut level that it will touch you because it is emotional and it does have a point that it makes that you know love is never going to die, man. Now, which brings me to, like, the, one of the two big-budget movies that we're doing this week. And, of course, I want to talk Guardians of the Galaxy first because, you know, I didn't get a chance to see this one. You know, I know all you guys – are you comic guys who are just, like, going insane about, ooh, ooh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the, 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 latest, the latest film from Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
Look, look, look. Jeff already laughed. He can't even contain himself, boy. Like, <laughs> so let's, let's set up. Let's set up this uh, this Guardians of the Galaxy film. Uh, and of course, it tells the story of. Man, is that movie opening this week? Nah, man. It's next week. The first. Oh man, really? Oh my bad, man. So we shouldn't do Guardians of the Galaxy. No. Nah, oh, man. you know what? It just dawned on me. Look. Hercules is the movie that opens this week, but by virtue yeah. of the studios not showing Hercules to tonight, you know, yeah. around the same time that people can buy a ticket to go see it, right. then, uh, oh, I see, I see what the mix-up is. Guardians of the Galaxy, my apology, it doesn't come out this week, it comes out next week. I'm getting nah, confused man. with Hercules. Watch this. You're just Which, excited about for it. For some reason, I am excited, but guess what? The studio has no confidence in, in Hercules. And we're not going to review it because neither of us have seen it. Not because we haven't, we've been trifling and couldn't get to the theater, but we haven't seen it because the studio is not going to show it to you until 7.30 tonight. And, as I, and let me just give you a quick tip-off. The movie is going to start early previews tonight at 8 o'clock at night. So by the time Jeffrey Lyles gets a chance to see Hercules tonight, right, he no, gets sir. out of the theater no. at 9 o'clock. Well, I'm just saying, and giving you an example that I'm here. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. In class tonight, so I'm not going to see it. So there you go. the regular critic will get out about 9 30, Jeff. By the time that regular critic gets home, writes a review, mm-hmm. and can post it online, they will have yeah. had two showings of Hercules without any reviews. And then if a right. person's really lazy and doesn't put his review up until the morning, then there'll be early shows. So basically, this is almost the closest you can get to having a cold opening without it being a cold opening. A cold opening, mm-hmm. for those who are really not in the know, is when they don't screen a film at all, and they just throw it out there because they know that the critics are going to go, ah, that movie's terrible. So they take the money and run. But um, yeah, that's, pretty, that's pretty interesting, Jeff. So no Hercules review today. Nah, man, there's no. You know, it's crazy because you get Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who pretty much is widely loved by everyone. You think the com- the studio would have enough confidence to put a movie featuring him prominently, you know, allow everybody to get a chance to see it? And right now on Rotten Tomatoes, there are a few critics who have seen it, and it's it's uh, not doing awful. So it's it's uh you know it's not doing too bad. It's around sixty seven percent last time I checked. So you know it's it's not like a ten percent. It's not like the Legend of Hercules. Yeah, it's sixty seven percent right now on Rotten Tomatoes. So enough right, critics man. thought it was decent. They could give it a shot, but we won't be. All right, man. Even though, even though, um, 
even though Michael uh, Scott is online screaming, talk about Galaxy anyway. I'm not going to do it, bro. <laughs> Stay tuned next week. I'm not going to get my credit card pulled on that one. But what I will do is we will talk Lucy right now. And, of course, this film tells the story of a woman accidentally caught in the dark deals who turns the tables on her captors and transforms into a merciless warrior evolved beyond human logic. Writer, written and directed by Luke Besson. This movie, of course, star, or Luke Besson. It stars Scarlett Johansson. I love saying her name that way. Morgan Freeman and a bunch of other people that the public doesn't even really know, so we're not gonna we're gonna we're not naming those actors. But before we get started, here is a clip from Lucy, if I can find it. Where's Lucy? Where's my Lucy clips at, man? I'm, I'm missing Lucy. I already told you, you know, going in that I love Lucy. Where's the Lucy clip? Oh, here we go. Hello, me. I speak English. I translate for Mr. John. 가방 안에 뭐가 들어 있는지 아냐고 물어봐. Mr. Zhang wants to know what's in the case. Richard gave me the case to give to you. That's all I know. Okay, please tell him that. He gave me a paper with numbers written on it. I don't. What is this? It's the code to open the case. What's really in here? Nothing dangerous. Mr. Zhang insists that you open the case. Okay, okay. Hey, Jeff, I love that scene, man. He's saying, open it, guys! Open that case! (laughs) (laughs) That is is a scene from Lucy where uh, at the beginning of the film, uh, Lucy is just really, uh, I guess, naive, Jeff. Would that be an appropriate... Uh, way to describe it is really naive woman. No, I'm not kidding. really that naive. Nah, well, I mean, she's saying. just hanging out. I mean, she's pretty leery of the shady guy who wants her to go into this building with the mysterious with, with, briefcase. With a briefcase. So, Watch this. With a briefcase yeah. that has something in it that, that she doesn't know what it is, and he handcuffs the briefcase to her, forcing her to take it into this building where she is accosted by several large kind of Japanese men and the deal goes bad really quick. And uh, needless to say, um, the, the, she has some drugs sewn inside of her body, which at some point after a vicious assault are leaked into her system, and it transforms her um, into, in my estimation, into like the most vicious, well, vicious is not the right word, into the mm-hmm. into the, the most super woman ever in film. I can't think of another female character that has more power than Scarlett Johansson does in Lucy. Can you? No. no. I'm talking superheroes, you know, smart people, strong women. She is by far the most lethal woman in the history of movies. Would that be a stretch, Jeffrey? No, I think that's that's pretty accurate, but you're also hitting on the biggest problem with Lucy, too. But I'll, I'll let you okay, finish. But, but, but no, but you, you let me finish. All right, so in this, essentially, Morgan Freeman is a scientist that's in this film who talks about uh, the capability of the, of the human mind and the brain. And he talks about, like most animals, 
only use 1% of their brains. Most humans use 10% of their brains, which, make, which makes us the smartest species while we're at the top of the food chain. Um, but Lucy has a drug in her system which can have her maximize her brain potential, taking her to 100%. Uh, and as the film does a great job of setting up, if you, can, if you have that much brain capability, you can control people, you can move matter, you can almost do anything if you can control that much stuff. And this film shows Lucy's evolution from, as Jeff said, a girl who's not really that naive at the beginning to a woman who, who just, just is behind time and space, uh, literally in this film. Um, to me, watching this movie, Jeff, it reminded me of three movies kind of like jammed together. Uh, Bradley Cooper's Limitless, which I loved, you know, where he took the pill and, and you know, for brief spells he would have, like, the ability to tap into 30 to 40 to 50 percent of his brain capability. Um, it also is a mix of transcendence, which is, you know, the Johnny Depp movie from early this year that a lot of people did not like. And it also even had some sprinkling of the Matrix in it in some of the scenes in a way that Luke, Luke besides shot the film. Um, I think Scarlett Johansson is absolutely spot on the right person to play this character. Uh, for the folks in the Marvel Universe who watched her play Black Widow in several movies, she brings already the, 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 the badass, you know, kick you, you know, beat you down capabilities. And there are, there are not a lot of scenes of action in this film, but the scenes that are in the film, Johansson sells it really well. And as I said, that is perfect casting using her. Uh, Morgan Freeman essentially uh, is the human-slash-scientific element of the film, who I think, in that besides script, much like I talked about I Origin, they talk a lot of science in the film, but they don't do it in a way that puts you to sleep. And, that, and I think there's a wonderful balance of the action that you can see and the science as they're explaining it to you that I think really helps this movie along. Um, Halfway through this movie, you know, as a person who kind of likes, I'm not a big sci-fi guy, but I like great concepts, and I think the concept of this film is very well executed, and there's some scenes in the third act of this movie that he does some stuff that I've never seen on screen before, and I've seen, I've been watching movies for 40 years, and I've never seen, uh, you know what I'm talking about, Jeff, toward the end of the movie where, you know, she's at almost 100% capabilities and she's literally doing stuff that on screen's never been done and I don't think it's been imagined before. And if it has been imagined, it's never been able to be executed because the technology now that exists in films allows certain scenes to be shot in ways that literally will just blow your mind, you know, think gravity and things of that nature. But I really think that this film is a sleeper. I think that um, for whatever reason, if they would have marketed this thing a little differently and given it a better time slot, I think this movie could have made a lot of money. I think this movie could have been groundbreaking in ways at the box office that it is on film. But Son, who's done films like The Professional, uh, some of his other films, I think really, really shines in this film. And I would honestly say, Jeff, this is one of my best films of the summer. And I'm not, when I say my best, not my top five or my top ten, but I think this is one of the best films I enjoyed this summer. 
I really like Lucy a whole lot, and I would almost go three and a half to four stars. It's nearly a four-star movie, but I'm just a little, a, le- a little level below that. I would give it three and a half. I like Lucy a lot. Um, I got a feeling from your breathing that I am alone on this one, Jeff. <laughs> you are Sandra Bullock in Gravity right now. Man, yeah, as much as you liked it. <laughs> You're like so long right now. Oh man, the thing—it it lost me really early with him doing the clips with the National Geographic, uh, Animal Kingdom, and then Morgan Freeman in the world's boringest history evolutionist uh, evolution lesson. And then we've got her hanging out at the club. I mean, it's like, what's going on with this movie? And um, he just never really finds a. a a, a point where it's like, all right, this is where we're going with the movie. And then he hits the point where the best part of the movie is that scene where she's with the gangsters and the translators translating and the guys are all trying to figure out what she has in the briefcase. And then it all kind of falls down after that. So we've got her getting this superhero drug and it's like, a, yeah, it's, it's, it pretty much plays out like a superhero origin movie where she gets these powers and she's figuring out all the things she can do. But like Limitless, it hits that point where when she can do anything, there's no... There's no objective. There's no purpose. She's just sitting around and trying to figure out what she's going to do now that she has all this intelligence. And one of the things that just killed me in the whole movie was how she's clearly the smartest person, most powerful person on earth. But she decides, hey, I need a sidekick. I'm going to get I'm going to get this police detective to come along with me for no reason, because there's absolutely nothing he can do that she can't. Oh, and then we're going to go to Morgan Freeman's character for no good reason because he's talked about this stuff, even though she knows so much more than he possibly could imagine about what she's experiencing. It's like you going to a kindergarten class and asking them to evaluate movies for you. It's kind of like, um, you're not really going to be able to tell you much. So it was just kind of like, let's find some more characters to talk to Lucy. And there was no purpose because she can do everything and there's no reason for her to interact with anybody else. So it just kind of left her directionless. And then the action scenes were great. Hassan does those awesome, even in that mess uh, movie that he did, The Family, which I hated. At least the action scenes are cool. And and in this one, the action scenes, the chase scenes are cool. They're great. And he did some spectacular uh, special effects. Like what you were saying about that last scene, it was great. And it was like, wow, this is really something we haven't seen on screen before. I felt like the moving to different locations really had that Matrix deja vu feeling to it. But... It you know the effects are great. It's just I need a lot more story to it and a purpose for Lucy. She, it was kind of like okay, does she want to lose all this super intelligence so she can be normal again, or does she want to do something else? It's kind of just like great, Lucy can do anything, and these guys with guns are going to stop her. How? And once it kind of gets to that point, there's nothing to the movie. That was my take. So oh, okay. it I was 89 minutes going, and it went by. Yeah, man, it was 89 minutes, and it felt like three hours to me. I was I was long since ready oh, for it to end. Now, you know, now, you yeah. know what's interesting from my takeaway from what you just said, and the one thing that, see, because, again, I thought, and I could see there's two sides to a coin, and I could see your point uh, on mm. at least two of these issues, but on the policeman, that, that, was, that part of the story, and I bought it because it makes perfect sense, 
uh, and, and, and it's kind of hard to, to really talk about this without giving away too much more of the movie, but I will just say that there is an explanation for it that, that Jeff is just skimming over. And the only reason why it doesn't resonate more is because Bassan could have done some more with it uh, because mm-hmm. of what that guy, that French police officer represented. So there was a better way in order to, you know, it's, it's good to have a throwaway line that, you know, he's here for this. But if there would have mm-hmm. been some action it, that displayed that, then it would have driven the point home that that was his purpose, his one and only purpose, Jeff. I mean, you understand what I'm saying, right? No, no I got saying. you. Yeah, right. Exactly. Now, as it relates to Morgan to Freeman, no, 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 right. And, and as it relates to Morgan Freeman, I think the purpose that he serves in the film is not necessarily to be there to mentor her, but it's for the, the film's greater point on, as you talked about earlier, about all this intelligence and what do you do with it. And somebody has got to be there uh, again. This is one of those films that's really tough. Like the points you're bringing up are tough to refute, you know, mm-hmm. on this show without giving the movie away. Right. So I'm, I'm just going like, I'm just going like, be like a pinata now and just hit me, man. Cause you know, I can fight back normally like one-on-one, but Jeff is bringing like the entire audience into it and I can't fight back right now. So that was cool, Jeff. That was, that was a good look, man. So, oh, yeah, it, and, just, and I can't, I can't tell the last part, but you know what I'm referring to when people, once they see it yeah. now at that last bit, I was just like baffled by how the payoff was, how they were going to play out the playoff, the payoff. It's kind of like, great. Okay. They can do that. And how are they going to use that now? So I, I was, I was really intrigued by what they could possibly do with that. Cause I can't well, get I my think- iPhone five to do everything yeah, I needed to. So you are stupid, yeah. man. <laughs> no, but, but you know, but you know what I think is really interesting about these stories, man. And I think, you know, the ability that you and I can watch the same film, and 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 I think you understand my point, and I understand your mm-hmm. point. And I'm not necessarily saying that my point is right and is wrong, mm-hmm. or vice versa. It's just it, to me, it's all about perspective. And like I said, sometimes you know, when I watch movies. You know, I don't need you to necessarily have to, like, map an entire film out for me to get it. I mean, if you right. can show me, you know, if you can bridge together, like, if you present something and you can bridge it together, whether it's with the line, whether it's with the scene, whether it's a throwaway, something that a character may say, something to kind of give me the bridge, then I'm kind of there. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. that the execution of that bridge, as I will, I will call it, Sometimes the execution of the bridge is not done uh, as, as succinctly or as done not emphatically enough. And I think that's, what, that, that's basically what it sounds like I'm hearing from you, that you're saying, yeah. you know, yeah, they got these characters in the movie, and, you know, the, the film kind of told me why they were there, but I don't really – but that logic that the film is using or those lines or those scenes that are supposed to bridge mm-hmm. that, didn't really tell yeah. me anything. And when you're talking about the French police officer, I would, I would almost echo you. I mean, I know what the film is saying, but there was a stronger way, even if it was one scene that you could have threw in there, that would have really kind of like said, okay, all right, well, that's his purpose. I mean, because yeah. this, is, this, is for, this is about her, and she's using him for this fact. So she doesn't mm-hmm. lose this, if that makes any sense. So yeah, I'm with you. Um, yeah, man. So, but but overall, I think we both. Well, I actually I like the film, 
I'm not really mm-hmm. sure. Is this a film you like to recommend or the film that oh, felt like three hours is Oh, yeah. Nah, nah. You know, this this is one of those where uh, I took uh, my pastor with me to see it. And normally, if he falls asleep during a movie, I'll kind of give him a nudge and be like, hey, wake up. This time, I was like, I'm just going to let you sleep on it. I'm going to let wow. somebody enjoy their time during this movie. Because, yeah. Wow. Not yeah. I'm mad at you, man. I mean, you know, but I still respect uh, Jeffrey and what Jeffrey brings to the table. Yeah, we get ready to get out of here, man. No, seriously, I'm being funny. I mean, you know, you my dude. But um, no just tell people where they can listen to you or read your uh, your content. They can check out my stuff at Lyle's Movie Files, and they can follow me on Twitter, where I'm covering all the fun stuff from the armchair perspective of Comic Con at Lyle's Movie Files. <laughs> Get out the chair, man, and go to San Diego. Get out yeah, the man, chair and go sure. to San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I want to thank my man Jeff uh, from the Lyles Movie Files, along with actor Michael Pitt and writer-director Michael Cahill for coming on today. And I apologize for teasing the audience, man, with this Guardians of the Galaxy review. You did, man. Only to discover, like, oh, snap, it ain't out this week. My bad. I kept trying to warn you. <laughs> You, you did. You was like, hey, hey, pull away from that. Pull away. Yeah, you were like, no, look, don't look into the light, Tom. It's all good. Well, well, I did, unfortunately, man. But uh, as I tell you guys in closing every week, please see something good at the movies. And remember, 30th anniversary of Purple Rain. We're going to do a special tribute show this Sunday night at 8 p.m. You do not want to miss it. Until then, you guys take care and you enjoy your weekend.